Hello. This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Very. Here you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Hey there, Conscious Combat Soul. What, you? Yes, I'm talking to you. If you listen to this podcast, then you are a human being who loves combat and wants to be conscious about the way that you're doing it. You're interested in being more trauma-informed, more inclusive, and more ethical in the way that you teach and participate in martial arts and combat sports. And that's why I would like to invite you specifically to join our new group, the Conscious Combat Club. We're on Facebook, and there's an emailing newsletter that you can sign up for, the details for both of which are in the show notes here. But now, let's get to today's episode. All right. Welcome to the Fight Back podcast, everyone. I am here today with Christina Nikolai, who is a breathwork coach and martial artist here to share her incredible story with all of us. Christina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to share my story and talk more about jujitsu. <laughs> Our favorite topic around here, or one of, <laughs> one of, one of. I am... Um, yeah ambiguous across the martial arts for sure these days but let's start there let's start at your story tell us a bit more about you mm, okay um I am a breathwork coach mm-hmm. and I am a jujitsu blue belt and honestly I really I, I don't know exactly where to start but let me just say this I feel like me working on my own healing journey is what led me to starting martial arts and martial arts continued that healing journey um, because I'm someone that was never really confident I had like low self-esteem didn't believe in myself so I would have never started a martial art because that's intimidating right so once I started my own healing journey and doing breath work and all these different things to kind of peel those layers that were making me feel like I was not good enough I got to the point where I was like I can try this I can try anything you know and and that eventually led me to trying jujitsu and my life has dramatically changed since starting um so I started off my healing journey four years ago five years ago when I was having my own rock bottom time of my life. It was like a mental health rock bottom, anxiety, depression, all of that. And when that happened, I was like, this is not meant to be my life. Like I was having daily like anxiety attacks and you know, finding the nearest place I could cry on a daily basis just because I didn't know what was happening to me. And once I started really looking into my journey and like looking into what was happening, I like Googled, like, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling sweaty palms, I'm feeling like really uneasy all the time, I'm crying all the time. And then it, I found anxiety and I was like, wait, I have anxiety? Like, I didn't really know what it was at the time. 
if you remember like five years ago on Instagram, people weren't talking about mental health as much as they are now. They weren't talking about anxiety in their stories as much as they are now. So I just started researching it like crazy. And like, I started trying to figure out why I was where I was. And it led me to this, um, spiritual awakening. I don't know if you've ever looked into that or not. Tell everyone about it. So basically it's like when you hit this rock bottom, you feel like, you feel like you're kind of alone in this and the spiritual awakening is like, I was Googling all this stuff and there's all these people who are dealing with the same thing, the anxiety and the depression and all these things. And that anxiety and depression led them to like a healing journey and like shedding all these layers of what was keeping them from being their best selves was keeping them from being confident was keeping them from living their truth. And when I found that I was like, Oh my God. So like, I'm not meant to stay in this place. I'm not meant to live with anxiety every day. I'm not meant to be crying every single day. I'm not meant to be depressed. So once I found all that information, I was like, I'm going to go on this healing journey now. I'm going to figure it out. And I started seeing therapists. I started seeing healers and I started listening to podcasts of people who had overcome what I was dealing with. So it was like these were expanders for me, like examples of, of where I could be. And all of that eventually led me to finding breathwork. And when I found breathwork, I was like, I kept hearing about breathwork all over social media and all these different places. And I was like, what is up with breathwork? And the, the average person is going to hear breathwork and think like, those simple breathwork practices that you do to calm yourself down in the moment, right? This style of breathwork was a little bit deeper than that. So I was like, let me check this out. Let me see what this breathwork style that everyone's talking about right now is. So I found this breathwork for trauma release class in Brooklyn. So I was living in New York at the time and now living in Detroit. And so I found this class and I was like, I'm going to go check this out. And there was this room and there were a bunch of um, mats lying down next to each other. There were like blankets and pillows. And I was like, hmm, interesting. And she had us lay down with our heads, like almost head to head, not close to each other, but they're in close proximity to each other. And she's like, I'm going to play some really loud music. And then you're going to breathe in this specific way for the next like 45 minutes straight and I was like okay so she starts playing this really loud music and we all start breathing so all these people strangers next to each other breathing and she's like you might feel some emotions pop up like come up so just just so you know you, you might feel some tingling you might feel lightheadedness these are the things you might experience and then I was like okay I'm breathing and then all of a sudden I hear people start releasing emotions that were trapped in their bodies. And I was just like, whoa, they're like really, really releasing. They're really crying. Like really, you could tell, you can like feel it like an energy. You're like, wow. And hearing someone else cry like that was leading me to want to cry like that. And I was like holding myself back and, and 
this was, you know, my first breath work. After you do more of these, you, you kind of let yourself. But in that first one, I noticed myself holding back from releasing my emotions. And I tried to hold it back. And after that, I was like, I can't hold back anymore. So I just started crying too. And in that moment, I had this like vision of myself leading these breathwork sessions with people I love. And I was like, oh my God, this is like my thing. Like from here forward, this is what I'm doing. And I didn't start to like five months later or something, but five months later, pandemic happened and I went straight into it. I was like, this is what I want to do. And I went straight into it and I started reading, taking courses, like breathing in all these different ways. And it's just changed my relationship with myself, with my mind, with my emotions, with my body. And it's been a beautiful experience. Um, it's also changed the way that I relate to my body in jujitsu. Given I, I discovered this breath work before I started jujitsu, but I know that it changed the way I would approach jujitsu now had I not discovered breath work before this. So that's a little bit about my story. <laughs> I want to get into the jujitsu in a bit, but I'm curious about breath work because I find breath is such an interesting, almost contentious topic within um, trauma, right? Where I've worked with clients who are terrified of breath work, terrified of yeah. focusing on their breath um, and whose referring psychologists, for example, will say, don't get them to focus on their breath. They're not ready for that yet. Or they're only ready for like passive inhale focused on the exhale uh, because the inhale does really bring up a lot of sympathetic activation for them. Um, yeah. And you would think that, well, I really thought when I first started working in the trauma-informed martial arts space, I was like, breath work would be less scary than kickboxing. But I was wrong. For some people, breath work is actually more scary than kickboxing. Uh -huh. um, so I'm wondering, can you speak to some of the ways that you would introduce breath work for someone who currently, if they were by themselves, unassisted, that would really struggle to focus on their breath? It turns them into a panic attack or it help, or it makes them spiral. Here's the thing. I think um, it is scary for a reason. Like when people have panic attacks, their biggest fear is that there's, there's, they can't breathe. Right. So like focusing on that scares you even more and go leads you down more panic. You're like, I don't want to focus on my breath. Cause then I keep thinking about how I can't breathe. Mm -hmm. So this one's a tough one. This one's a tough one because I think it would be easier to start someone off with some type of grounding practice that doesn't make them focus on their breath first. And then when they feel a little bit grounded, like putting their feet on the ground or looking up at the ceiling, looking up at the wall, looking at their hands, remembering where they are, and then coming back to the breath, but not telling them to take a deep breath. I think this is uh, where we kind of, um, what's the right word? confuse people, people will start to take a deep breath and their deep breath will look like their chest rising and their shoulders rising up. And if you're breathing like a deep breath, the way most people think you're supposed to, you're breathing in from your chest and from your shoulders. And that's where you're kind of activating the sympathetic nervous system. 
So your fight or flight, you're just activating it a little bit more. And what we really need to tell people, I mean, depends how people receive it, but this is what I've learned and what works for me is to breathe slowly. And when you're breathing in through the nose, it automatically should go slow. But if someone is in panic, they're going to be like (laughs) breathing in, breathing up from the shoulders, breathing up from the chest. So if you could help guide them to breathe slow through the nose and from the belly. So slow is like, has been the key word for me. I don't even say deep breath anymore. There's nothing wrong with saying deep breath, but I think slow breath kind of translates differently than deep breath to people. Does that make sense? Definitely. And I think so if we summarize that for everybody um, in a situation, maybe when you're working with a client or if it's you yourself who struggles with this, you can get grounded by identifying things around the room, feeling your feet on the ground, seeing where your hands are, whatever works for you. Then you could progress to taking a slow breath through your nose. And if you're facilitating that, you would cue it and model it for the person. So you might say, let's take a long, slow breath through our nose. And you would slow your voice and your breath down. Yeah. 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 I've, I've been learning a lot about that uh, breathing from the belly as, as that's one of the most important things. So breathing in from the belly, breathing in through the nose, and then exhaling longer than your inhale. So if your exhale, so you said it before, right? Your inhale activates the sympathetic Mm -hmm. and then your exhale activates the parasympathetic your heart rate goes down on the exhale so if you extend that then you're slowing down your heart rate a little bit more beautiful i know i think those are really good actionable things that people can follow Mm -hmm. um so let's talk about how it relates to jujitsu so you had this spiritual awakening You learned all of these tools. You started putting them into practice. Breath work's Mm -hmm. a big part of that. Then were you just like one day, you know what I think I would like to do? Kind of put on some pajamas and go wrestle some people. Or (laughs) how did that happen? Uh, Close, no. Um, Okay, it's so random. Um, I actually found you through SAC Life Official, Mm -hmm. right? So I met him at a party one day and he was telling me about how um martial arts helped with mental health and I was like huh this is very interesting and I was already into that subject so I was like okay another avenue this is very interesting and I'd always been interested in learning some kind of martial art I always wanted to learn like boxing or something because I just wanted a way to defend myself I've always wanted this I just never took that leap and then so I was living in New York at the time pandemic hit And I was like, okay, why am I going to stay in New York City paying $1,100 for this like tiny apartment bedroom if I can't even leave it? So I ended up moving back to Michigan to just stay with my parents for a little bit with my family. And on my way moving back to Michigan from New York, I started looking up different gyms. I was like, okay, I'm going to try Muay Thai. And this gym pops up and I was like, all right, I'm going to call. So on my way home, I call this guy and I'm like, hey, I want to try more time. And he was like, okay, come in tomorrow. And I was like, okay. So I get home at like 7 p.m. The next day I went straight in there and I was like, 
tell me about this Muay Thai thing. So whatever. I started training like that day when I was like, all right, I, I love this. This is like, it's, it's pushing me out of my comfort zone. It's showing me what I'm capable of physically because I had never been an athlete my entire life. So even to this day, people calling me an athlete, I get like imposter syndrome. I'm like what? Me? <laughs> but when I started doing that, because of all the work I had done and because of what I was learning with breath work, I was like not only keeping up with all these guys that I was training with, I was like exceeding what they were doing. And I was like, whoa like that just shot my confidence right up. I was like, this is what I can do compared to like the younger version of me who used to play soccer with my cousins and just sit on the ground and like pick the grass, you know, like it was just like a completely different person. So I was started training that and I was having a great time and I would see these people doing jujitsu and I was like, I'll try that later. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm not ready for that. And the jujitsu people were just like, come on, you got to come to jujitsu. You have to try jujitsu. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And I was like, I don't know, one day, one day, next month, next month. And they're like, don't wait till next month. Just, just come. And I was like, fine, I'll come. (laughs) (laughs) So I went and I tried it and I fell in love immediately like even more than kickboxing I was like I don't know what it is but it just like felt natural like from the first day so I fell in love with that and then I kind of like set kickboxing aside and just like went full force on jujitsu and two months in to my jujitsu journey these people were like come to Pan Am's you should you should you should compete and I was like I don't know what I'm doing. I've just been doing this for two months. I'm like, I'm going to go to this, this competition and, you know, compete. They're like, who cares? Just try it. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of scared. So I looked up, I looked it up. I went online and I was like, let's see what this Pan Am's thing is. And I just like signed up for IBJJF and I got my little, little um, card with my face on it, all that stuff my little ID, IBJJF ID and everything. And then when I finally got the courage to sign up, I was like, you know what? You only live once. Let's just try this. I went to sign up and it was sold out. It's sold out or whatever you want to call it. It was past its limit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, no. I like cried. And I was like, wow, that's how bad I actually wanted to do it. But I was letting fear hold me back. So when, when I realized how badly I wanted it, I messaged IBJJF and I was like, hey, um, if you have any openings that, that happen to happen, like, could you please like fit me in? And they're like, um, it's very highly unlikely, but like, we'll let you know. And I was like, okay. So I went and checked like every single day. I was like checking, woke up, checked, woke up, checked. And every day it was saying it was still sold out. And I was like, one day I was like, I'm going to stop checking now. Like I'm done checking. It was like two weeks out. And that night I went to check again and I got an email and they were like, Hey, we have an opening for you. Do you still want to compete? And I was like, Oh my God. Yes. Yes. I want to compete, please. So they fit me in 
And I just trained for two weeks straight, like judo, um, jujitsu, just like visualization. I did visualization every day, visualizing my hand going up, like winning. And that day came, we went to Florida and it was this huge like arena. And I was like, whoa, this is big. Like, this is a big deal. And I went out there my first match and I was listening to music and I was just like doing my breath work. And I was like, I like, I'm going to win this. 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 And the music was just pumping me up so much. I was in that zone and I looked over at the girl and she looked tough. I was like, oh man, she looks tough. And then we went out there and she kept trying to take me down, take me down, take me down. She couldn't take me down for the life of her. And I could see her looking at her people like she's not going down. Eventually I took her down. I ended up winning by points. I didn't even know I won. I was like on top of her and I guess the little bell thing rang and my friends were like, Hey, like you won. And I was like, what? I won. I was like in shock, but I was like, Oh my God. Like I actually just won. I won. And I went up there and my visualization came true. Like what I visualized for two weeks straight every morning, every night, my arm going up and I was like, Whoa, that's like, this doesn't feel real. And then I did my second match and I ended up losing that one, but I didn't care because I was like, I, I did it. Like I came out here, which alone is like awesome. And then I won my first ever jujitsu competition, like my first ever match. And that to me was like, I walked away thinking like, well, I did this for that former version of myself that one that was down and anxious and insecure and not confident and like that moment I was like even before I walked in on the mats I was like I'm doing this for that version of myself and for anyone out there who's experiencing what I was experiencing at that time so it was like it was like I had heart when I went in there you know I love this story so much. I'm so happy we got to share it. Um, I'm curious about the breathwork routine that you did before you went out or that you do before you compete. What's it kind of look like? So this one, back then, I, it was different than what I do now. Back mm-hmm. then, it was just Wim Hof. Mm-hmm. It was like, I did Wim Hof to kind of like get my mind present. Because mm-hmm. that's, per- personally, that's what it does for me. Now I do, I don't know if you know oxygen advantage. No. So that's a type of breath work. Um, They focus on increasing your tolerance to carbon dioxide. So um, a lot of us, I'm not going to say everyone, a lot of us have a low tolerance to CO2 because we over breathe, meaning we offload too much CO2 when we breathe. We breathe through our mouths when we're sleeping, like our mouths are open, or if we exercise, we end up breathing through our mouths. And then in turn, we end up offloading too much CO2, which affects the exchange, the natural exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide that we need. So when that happens, we're not feeding our muscles, our cells, our organs, the the amount of oxygen that they need to properly function. So 
what I did, what I do now and what I started to do later in, in later competitions is breath holding. So this is like a whole new world, <laughs> breath holding. So I don't know how deep you want me to go into this, but breath holding allows you to increase that tolerance to CO2. And mm -hmm. a lot of times anxiety can be caused by that low tolerance. When you hold your breath and that feeling when you're like, when you're holding it too long and then that anxiety rises, that's that feeling of too much CO2. It needs to be released right so or too much too much that you can handle way more than you can handle at the time so I start to do breath holding so beforehand I'll do like I'll start with checking my heart rate and then I'll focus on slow breathing and then I'll do about four to five breath holds and then after that I'll do breathe in for four breathe out for six and hold for five. This is something I tell a lot of people to just start with on a daily mm -hmm. basis. In for four, out for six, the cadence breath, and then hold for five at the bottom of the exhale. This is you slowly training yourself to tolerate CO2. And when you tolerate more CO2, what CO2 does is opens, it dilates the blood vessels to allow oxygen to travel to all the places it needs to go because oxygen is the fuel, right? But it needs to be able to get to all the places it needs to go more efficiently. So that's what breath holding ends up doing. So wow. that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's really interesting because I know like the Wim Hof app gets you to do breath holds, but after doing like the kind of super oxygenation breathing or the like almost, you know, the, the more rapid breaths, Mm -hmm. And then the big breath hold. But what you're yeah. doing is like slow breaths and then a hold. A hold right. at the bottom. What the Wim Hof does at the top. He does both, I think. He does inhale. Yeah. Inhale, hold at the top. And then he'll, you exhale and then you hold another at the bottom. So with, with oxygen advantage, it's usually held at the bottom. Mm. It's they're two different worlds. Like some oxygen advantage people don't like the Wim Hof breathing. The breathwork world, there's a lot of um, contradictory things and some people don't like other things. And some people are very like religious about the type of breathing that they do. I'm pretty open. But what oxygen advantage teaches is that when you do these breath holds and you increase your tolerance to CO2, you create a healthy baseline breath to end up doing all these different breath breath work types without damaging your body does that make sense totally totally and not dissimilar to martial arts right where a lot of people think that like their version of jiu-jitsu or like you yeah. know brazilian jiu-jitsu and now we're trying to say there's american jiu-jitsu uh -huh. japanese jiu-jitsu gi no gi ibjjf versus ebi whatever um, absolutely <laughs> some people like to think yeah they've got the be all end all I think it's really good and healthy that you're keeping an open mind to new things because new especially like the breathwork space there's new research coming out all the time absolutely this is what I'm yeah I totally agree because 
I don't think anyone's a full expert on breath work. I don't think anyone's a full expert on the brain. Like, I think there's so much to discover on the brain. There's so much to discover on breath work. There's so much still yet to be figured out that we can't just say, this is it. The end all be all this is, and that's it. It's just, you can't. No, definitely not. Um, so I'm curious, what's next for you? Like for competitions, have you set big competition goals or are you like, yeah, competitions, maybe not so much for me or like, what are the goals with your training? Okay. I'm going to be honest about where I am on my journey right now. So um, I continue to do some more competitions. I'm going to talk about a competition experience that affected me negatively, mm. not negatively. I'm not going to say negatively at the time. It just felt can I curse shitty? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can curse. Okay, so the second girl that I versed in at Pans, she beat me, right? And sometimes when we lose, we try to figure out, oh, how long have you been doing this? Or like try to figure out a reason, like be like, oh, you've been doing it much longer than me. Like sometimes we do that. It's ego, whatever. We all have it. Um. At that time, I do want to say this is like, I had beginner's ignorance. I was not nervous, like maybe a little, but I was really not that nervous. I was like, if I lose, I lose. I've been only doing this two months. So I had that excuse, you know, (laughs) so I wasn't nervous. And then I competed in Dallas and then I signed up and I saw who I was versing. And it was that girl that I had versed the second time who beat me. And I was like, oh my God, is this like a sign that I get a second chance? Like, you know, maybe I can redeem myself. And I went, I, I went with a different approach this time. It was more like, uh, I guess, feminine. I don't know if you're into energetics, feminine, masculine energetics, but I allowed myself to rest. I didn't like obsessively train and went out there uh versed her it was almost like the match was almost identical to the last one but she had a much harder time than the last time but she ended up beating me and when we were done I was so upset I was really upset I was like I cried I cried after I lost because I had told all these people like, oh, I get a second chance, you know, like I was like, I'm going to be. So I told more people that I was competing. And at that time, I was like, I had more experience. So I didn't have that excuse. of, oh, I've been only doing this two months this time. So afterwards, we became friends, by the way. She was so cool. And she was like, you did so much better. Like you, it was, I was scared there for a second and all this stuff. And I realized that what kind of made me cry at that moment was, and I I never really knew that you could tie like your mental health this much to sports. Like you, even sports is like a mirror. It just shows you how you're living in your actual life. You know, it shows you little ways that the ways that you're living in your actual life. So I felt this like pressure to win because I had told all these people that I was going to compete again with this girl and that this time I was going to win. So when I lost, I felt like I let all these people down and that's why I cried. Um, 
even though I knew logically, like I just came such a long way. Like I see how I progressed. Like I don't have to beat her. I showed myself how far I've come compared to the last time we competed regardless of whether she's been doing this longer than me or whatever it is like I'm not against her at the end of the day it's like me showing my former self how far I've come and measuring that success that as success not necessarily the win or the loss whatever um so after that I just worked on my my perspective around it I let that go so then I signed up again for a Detroit competition. I was ready. I was ready to go in there. I was nervous. I don't know if anyone else out there who's listening gets the nervous poops, but oh my God, I get them before a competition. I get them too. <laughs> okay, cool. And you was- can always smell in the toilet of competitions that other people yeah. get them too. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. I was like noticing all the lines, like the long lines outside of the bathroom. I was like, okay, so I'm not the only one getting the nervous poops. <laughs> um, so, uh, okay, so I was ready, right? Everyone, like I was with my whole team at my gym and everyone was competing and then it was my turn. So I went in that little area, the waiting area and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. You know, you have so much adrenaline and like excitement. You're ready to go in there. And they tell me that one of the girls didn't show up. And I was like, oh, man. It's like, okay, there's another girl. So let's just wait. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Found out she didn't show up either. So neither of my opponents showed up. And I was so, so, so upset. And what I, I was like, there's always something you can learn from these experiences. I was upset. My coach was like, don't be upset. You don't need to be upset. And I was like, but I am. So like, I need to let myself feel that I'm upset. And they gave me the, this gold, they gave me the gold, like, and I was like, I don't deserve this. I was like, I don't want this. And he's like, just take it and wear it and be, be proud that you came out here. You actually came out here. And I was like, yeah, but I don't feel like I earned it. But after that, I was like, what did I learn from this? And I was like, I learned that I was still trying to, when I went in there, the intention that I felt like I went in there with was to prove myself again. Like I lost the last one. So I had to prove myself to my teammates and not competing allowed me to kind of sit with that thought. So after that, I competed again at Fuji and this time I won. I competed with only two different girls. One was Nogi. I competed with the same girl twice and I won. And then another girl competed with her twice and won both. And then I won gold, double gold. And I was excited. I was happy for myself, but I was like noticing how I was downplaying my wins. I was like, yeah, but it's only Fuji. I didn't win at IBJJF. And I was like, girl, just let yourself like celebrate, let yourself get this win. Like, you know, don't be so critical. Um, and then ever since then I got promoted to blue belt in November and part of me wanted it. Part of me didn't. I was like, Oh, I don't know. I want to compete more as a white belt. 
Like, I don't, I I don't know if I'm very like, strongly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people get this feeling of like, when you go to blue belt, then you have that pressure of like, oh man, now you're entering a new realm of talent. And so I was promoted. And then ever since then, I still felt, I felt confident. Like after getting promoted, I felt confident. Uh, so I got, and ever since then I've been like, I feel like procrastinating competing, but I want to compete. I want to compete, but I feel like I'm procrastinating. So I'm going to force myself to compete this summer. I don't know where, or there's always, there's so many competitions happening everywhere. When you look on IBJJF, it's crazy, but I'm going to force myself to compete, but I'm working on right now this mindset. Cause I've been looking into like sports psychology and how I ask people sometimes, what is it about competing that scares you the most? For some people, maybe it's um, being the center of attention. For some people, maybe it's like, I don't want to get hurt. For some people, it's, I don't want to let my teammates down. Or for others, it's this deep wound or feeling of like, am I enough and tying your worth to whether you win or not? For me, that's what it has been. So that's something that I'm currently working on as far as mindset goes. But I'm not going to wait until I get there. There's like no there really to get. Um, I'm going to I'm going to compete this summer for sure. Putting myself out there as a blue belt. Like if I lose, what's the worst that could happen? I lose. Then what? You learn. Yeah, uh, so I have lost all my fights as a blue belt so far. I haven't oh, won really? yet. Yeah, I got promoted at the start of this year, so like January, yeah. February, and I competed like a month later. Um, for free. Right, and I got smashed. Um, like the, but it was really good because I don't know if you've listened to the episode I did with Alvaro. Um, I don't know. I think it might be called visualization for jujitsu or something like that. It's one of the it's one of the more recent ones. But anyway, after I had him on my podcast, I was like, can we do some visualization training? And what we worked together on was getting myself to a place where I wasn't worried about the outcome because I'm very similar to you, right? Especially because I have history as a professional fighter. I was like, everybody expects me to be tough and win. I'm a pro fighter, but like, it doesn't really translate to jujitsu apart from Mm -hmm. like some of the athleticism, but I also never really consider myself naturally athletic. I'm just determined. Um, And we worked really hard. I was doing like visualization every day. I was like meditating. I was journaling. And I had this like routine where I was like going through in my head what the day before was going to look like, what the day was going to look like and how it was going to feel to practice getting into a place where the goal was to be calm. And I had a mantra, which was like, I achieve when I'm calm and I'm calm when I achieve. And so long as I was calm throughout the whole day, then that was my goal. And I achieved that. Um, I actually achieved like everything that I visualized. I just made like one mistake in my first match, um, which meant that exactly that's jujitsu. Right. So in the end I was like, I'm chalking that up as a win. Like, 
Um, yeah, it is like a, a literal win, but it's a positive, right? Um, so I, I totally agree. I think competition, like I wouldn't have grown that much as a person without the competition there for the outcome. Some people don't need competition, but for other people, competition is a great way to get you into a, a mindset where you're like, okay, I have to do the work now. Like I have to look at myself in the mirror and be like, yeah. what are your fears and how are they showing up and holding you back? Because if you don't, you're going to have a bad time in cult. Yeah, this is the thing. It's like being willing to go and face that scary, the scariness of facing your fears, the scariness of facing those, like for me, facing um, the truth that I am tying, I was, was tying my worth to whether I won or not. And like, that's not something that's pretty stable to, to tie your worth to, you know, your worth is innately in you. It doesn't move. It doesn't change based off of anything externally. If you're subconsciously tying your worth to something that that unstable, then your worth is just going to fluctuate and fluctuate. And it's just going to cause you a lot of emotional turmoil. Yeah. I think this is so common. I think almost everybody who goes to compete and and not even who goes to compete, right? We tie our worth to like whether or not we get promoted at work or to Mm -hmm. like whether we own the house that we live in or whether we have enough stuff or like all of these things that have all these external variables and that also aren't correlates of ourselves as people, right? Mm -hmm. They're just things that we have or have done, but they're not us. Yeah. And they're things that are usually fleeting. They're things that can come and go, but like us, like we can't ever leave ourselves, right? There are, if we tied our worth to like our hearts, our souls, whatever you want to tie it to, then it can't ever change. Can't ever go away. So yeah. that's, that's something that I'm, working on now like I've, I've been working on it for a while it's just it's a new layer of it like sometimes when you're working through different wounds or something that you're healing like new layers show up you know you reach new levels of consciousness around certain things that you're dealing with and this jujitsu revealed that for me and jujitsu is like the mats are like a mirror you know they show you 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 can't run away from the emotions that come up. You can't run away from yourself when you're there, like when you're on the mats. And I don't know if, because you talk a lot about trauma, right? Um, on the mats, not just trauma, but like emotions, right? This is so random. I don't know why I thought of this, but um, when you're on the mats, sometimes it brings up different emotions. Like whether that's like, I've seen guys fight each other, not punching or anything like that, but like start yelling at each other, egos get in there. So you you see your ego, you see parts of yourself that you can't run away from on the mats. And sometimes it shows you ways that you are living in your real life. Like we were talking about earlier. For instance, if you're on the mats and you're comparing yourself to someone else's journey, Do you do that in your real life? Do you do that when you're on Instagram? Do you do that at your work? Do you do that at home? Like, or like 
for instance, if you're on the mats and someone beats you and, or someone submits you and then do you put yourself down or do you get, do you get angry at the other person? Or like, it just, if you're present with yourself, it can teach you a lot about yourself and certain things that you might want to let go of as far as like the ego part of you goes. Definitely. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that when you're training, especially when you're rolling with somebody, you know, your heart rate gets up to a point um, and there's so many things going on that you kind of are trying to be aware of that you can't take like a rational brain neocortex approach to all of it, right? A lot of it happens automatically on like so-called muscle memory. And when you get into that level of arousal, you, you do things automatically. Your brain doesn't have the time to regulate how you respond emotionally. So whether or not you go into fight mode or angry or whether you go into flight mode and you tend to like withdraw and try and like run away or you go into mm-hmm. shutdown or you go into people pleasing and fawning or whether you go into like some other coping strategy that you use, it's going to show you that 100% yeah. because if you're rolling and you're getting tested when you're rolling, there's no other alternative. Yeah. And I remember one day I was, um, I was also, this happened to me also in kickboxing where I came in, in a certain emotional state and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to jujitsu and just like get my mind off of it. Yeah. You're getting your mind off of it, but your body is holding something. And when you're in that fight or flight state, it might get released (laughs) in that moment. So I was rolling with someone he was kicking my ass (laughs) and, and, after we were done, I just like had to run to the bathroom and cry. And it wasn't because you kicked my ass. It was just like my body went in such a like fight or flight mode trying to protect myself that those emotions just started spilling out. So I went, went in the bathroom, let myself cry, didn't even judge myself. I was just like, this is a natural human thing. Like, let yourself do it. And then wiped my tears away and then went back out there and kept rolling. And same thing with kickboxing. One day I was um, sparring with my boyfriend and his punches are super fast. Like he's very fast. So they were just like scaring me a little. He wasn't hitting me, nothing. Like we've done this before, but in that the state that I was in, in that moment, for some reason, it just triggered something. And so I had to, I was like, I gotta go. I ran into the back And I just let myself cry for like literally 45 minutes. I don't know why there was something there. I don't know. I don't need to cognitively come to the conclusion of why that happened. All I know is it happened. It was a natural response. I let it happen. I didn't judge myself. I supported myself. My boyfriend supported me as well. And I let it pass. And then I moved on with my day. So I think that's something important for people to to think about is like if emotions come up when you're on the mats try not to judge yourself try not to like stuff them down like i'm not saying you should sit on the mats and cry in front of everyone that's i mean that's okay if you do but like let yourself feel what you need to feel if you feel safe to feel it try to try to have compassion for yourself if you need to walk away and you need to go to the bathroom and cry do that and have compassion for yourself if you do accept yourself in that moment and it'll end up passing and the more we stuff it down 
the more it'll start building up and just like turn into an explosion eventually and make us sick. Totally. Right. And people are intentionally going to breathwork workshops to release this emotion. You get the, mm-hmm. the, but whatever caused it, if it happens to you in your training in martial arts, you can think of it like, I get the opportunity to release this now. But if you mm-hmm. like stuff it down, then you, you know, the opposite is happening. Yeah. And that's, I learned that, that from breathwork, breathwork, this specifically, this type of breathwork that I described earlier um the emotional release type it taught me to be okay with my emotions remember I told you the first one I held it back and I was like no don't cry don't cry and now I'm just like yeah let it out like let the river flow sis like just let it flow be natural be you like this is totally part of the human experience like don't don't resist something that's natural so now it's like cathartic. It's like, uh, like I feel like I'm detoxing my body when I do it. So that's that's the power of breathwork. Yes, definitely. I love that. And I love that we circled back around. And we are at the time where I would like to ask you what I ask everybody on this show. So you've probably at this point now been training for a bit, heard someone say like, Jiu-jitsu saved my life or kickboxing saved my life. It's a really common sentiment for a lot of people. It can be quite literally true. So I want to ask you either for you personally or what your gut feel is for what you've seen for other people. Why is that the case? I think there's so many aspects to it. I mean, the, the number one thing that pops into my head, this is just what pops into my head. Um, a lot of people struggle with loneliness and there's such a community, like a great community within martial arts. Like people think on the outside that we're violent people, but it's like the opposite. We're like family. You come in and there's such a structure that you see these people the same time every week and you get to know each other. You're like touching each other, which is another thing that it's like almost like a form of co-regulation, even though you're trying to strangle each other and hurt each other, essentially not really hurt each other. Like that physical touch is like a primal need within us. So that's one aspect. And then having like friends that you're going to see all the time. Like if you're a lonely person, you're home all the time and your, your job is like on a computer and you're not talking to people, you have a thing that you're going to, you know, maybe every day, four times a week, three times a week. And you're seeing these people all the time and you're building friendships and relationships. And it's such such a different camaraderie than anything else I've ever experienced. So I think that's such a powerful, healthy thing for people. And then on top of that, you're challenging yourself. You're showing yourself what you're capable of. It's it, That was one of the biggest things for me, watching my progress and seeing like, oh my God, like, look how much better I've become because I've done this consistently for this long. It's it's such a um, powerful thing to be able to measure your progress. And then another thing is moving your body in and of itself, releasing those endorphins. That alone, you know, can change your your energy, right? So if you're doing that on a regular basis, 
that can be life-changing for some people. So like all those things combined is really powerful for people. Also, one last thing. Yes. The confidence of being able to like protect yourself if need be. Like we don't like most martial artists, at least that I know, don't want to go out there looking for fights. But like knowing that you can protect yourself is is a really a confidence booster in life, I think, at least for me. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. And I mean, so confidence and community are the two most commonly cited answers to those. There's infinite answers to those because as unique as martial arts are and people's human experiences. And so, of course, it's quite a broad range, but those are two of the big ones that definitely come up a lot. So huge. Yeah, it makes sense. Christina, can you tell everyone how they can find you? I know you have a podcast as well. Where are you on social media if people want to get to know you a bit better? Yeah, of course. Um, You can find me on Instagram as Christina with a K, Nikolai, N-I-K-O-L-A-J. My website is the same, ChristinaNikolai.com. And then my podcast is called Talk Healing to Me. So DM me. Let's be friends. I want to meet more jujitsu people. (laughs) I want to like expand my community. So amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Have you thought of something to be grateful for today? What was it? I'm grateful for the amazing women that train with me at the Fight Back Project. I'm grateful for Nari and the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm grateful for you for listening to this show and helping martial arts keep saving lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to leave me a review to help more people find the show, that's a bonus. shapes me but me don't gotta tell you what my name is i don't gotta explain it walk in the room hear a boom erupting like i'm famous i'm here shedding shells i'm shameless half in nothing no complacence walk to many tight ropes with no hope so i became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders you don't need to know my history i move boulders atlas shrug because i lifted the weight above his shoulders no pretense of defense move first like chess soldiers this goes deeper than empowerment because huh, i'm the one that power it physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring if i can't change the scenery at least i change perspectives no longer isolated but elevated and selective darkest places become beautiful spaces this is where rage meets patience meets power meets gracious meets we're so glad you came and the feeling is contagious when you the walking impact of intended bad intentions when you the manifesting of collecting all they tensions you the soul and body hold it all and still remember but i'm a work in progress testament to all contenders forgot what it was like to have control over self forgot what it was like to be the one in charge forgot in my reflection i could see all my wealth forgot that with my bare hands i break all these bars barriers and obstacles they can't cage me they can't chronicle 
all my experiences and reduce them to appearances when i was truly beaten gave myself clearances to fall down mess up and get myself back up i'm not looking for clovers because i don't believe in luck damn you were badass i heard them say it clearly why thank you very much i know now i'm not weary of what's next for me because i expect to see growth like i was planted watered fed and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition. To know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth. Forgot that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts. No, really, you can't afford it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh? Oh. 